again again you and me we're going to talk about q2 of 2020 which feels like it has taken years this has been like <laughs> yeah. the longest three month span i can think of in my life yep man man so before we get into talking about covid let's kick it off with the song you just heard that is a song called song for matthew by friend of the show kevin armstrong and uh, that was an exclusive no one's ever heard that before in its final state the reason we're playing that is because as you may have heard matthew seligman our our old friend uh passed away from coronavirus back in april it was a it's a big loss now i don't uh you know prior to starting this podcast we didn't know any of these people personally yan but we've started to get to know them you know especially someone like matthew who's been on a couple of times he put us in contact with kevin Bruce Woolley, other guests of ours have all, Matthew was the conduit for that because he liked us and he put in a good word for us with them. And uh, I would think, don't you think that if you and I were in London, we could call Matthew and he would have come and hung out with us? I think so, yeah. 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 He was just a sweet guy. I mean, he and I became friends and he's gone from all of this, and it's just tragic. And Tom Dol- Thomas Dolby was uh, putting out uh, tribute songs. Bruce Woolley was putting out tribute songs. In fact, Thomas Dolby plays keys and sings background vocals on Song for Matthew. So when I heard that uh, Kevin was recording this, I asked him if he would let us play the song, and he agreed. And it's also, uh, he's 
as are most artists right now who have nothing but time on their hands, he's working on his second solo album. And this is going to be a part of it. And if anyone who doesn't know, last year he put out his first solo album. It's called Run. And it's so good. And if I if you want to know what it's about, get on YouTube and look up Kevin Armstrong, The Leukocytes of Love. And I can't tell you how to spell leukocytes, but I'm sure if you start trying, it'll come up in the search bar. That song is killer. But like everyone else, he's grounded these days, so he's working on a new album, and this is going to be a part of it. So we wanted to we wanted to show play a tribute to Matthew. We wanted to say thank you to Kevin, and um, we also lost Brian Howe, another former guest, uh, I believe, in this last three months. Although it wasn't COVID, he died of a heart attack. Yeah, um, that's right. <clears throat> and do you remember how old these guys were? Matthew was sixty-four. Matthew. Apparently, Brian had had health concerns for a long time, and so this uh, heart attack that did him in was kind of a, things like that had been happening for a while. Yeah, and Brian was 65. Oh, 65. Still, that's so so young, comparatively, you know? Brian is, uh, that was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, because to me, Brian, I had been trying to get him on for a long time, and that is the perfect story for us to tell on here. You know, the guy who comes into Bad Company gives them all these pop hits in a short window, and he's gone, and what's that guy doing with his life? That's the story that I like telling on here. I will say it's unfortunate I've, as nice as he was to me and, uh, you know, promoting our show and everything, he, I saw some pretty unsavory things about him out there afterwards. Apparently... I think he he fired his one of his bandmates because they were a Democrat. He's a big Trump guy, and um, I think he fired one of his band. And and I think worse, I think he put it out to as like a vote to his fans. Oh yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> remember this? Yep. Guys, what should we do? I'm a Trump guy. My guitarist or whoever is a Democrat. Should we fire him or something like that? You know? And I just thought, wow, that's cold. Like that's how you want to do this. Anyway, uh, not the best, but Brian was good to us. His music's great, and uh, of course, we don't want to see him go. So that's been that's been the last few months. Now let's talk about COVID. And I'll be honest, I I thought my plan all along was to make some very grand gestures and and speeches in this section about Black Lives Matter and wear a mask and all those political things that you hear. And the truth is, of course, I feel those things. I'm so exhausted by all of this. I don't know if you are too. I'm just, I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the politicalization of a mask and of going back to school and and Black Lives Matter and all of it. I am just exhausted by this whole chapter in our history. Do you feel that way too, Yan? Well, I don't really watch the news or anything, so... That's probably smart. I mean, in fact, I actually hardly ever watch TV. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. Are you, um, you're working from home. I mean, that's what most people are doing these days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working from home and have been since sort of like early March. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. And now we've got improved internet connection. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> good 
Yeah, trying, I uh, trying to get stuff done on the previous one was just like, right. uh, I think uh-huh. I'll just go away, make some dinner, come back. <laughs> yeah, that was an issue. Yeah, and, I uh, yeah, because I sometimes I was only getting like like one point five Mbps. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Not in these days. <laughs> not in these times. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, COVID, quarantine, all of it. I'm just I'm tired. I'm tired of all of it. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of annoying people. I'm tired of everything. How's it going in your state? Is it going back up? Well, um, we've been, so we heard, my wife and I were just talking about this this morning. I guess there is a small spike in the numbers. We're actually really good. I mean, I would say like 70, 80% of us wear masks. Now you can say what you want about masks, but that's a, that's a sign, I think, that a culture is rallying behind taking this seriously, whether the masks are, you know, 100% effective or not. And so our numbers have been good. And in fact, this fall, so here's what Farrah and I were talking about. This fall, they decided that they're going to let the kids go back to school full time, which is huge because she and I are both back at work. I'll get into that in a minute. And so she, I'm working in, our, in the laundry room in our basement. She's working from the office upstairs. And uh, we've got the kids home all day because of it's summer now. But even before that, it was, you know, they, were out of, they weren't in school. And it's next to impossible for both of us to be working and entertaining the kids so that they're not just sitting on screens all day. And so we were so glad. And I don't, I mean... It's even hard to talk about this because, of course, the last thing I want is for a child to die of coronavirus. Uh But then you think, well, they're not really the vulnerable ones, you know? And if a small percentage of them even get sick, then maybe we should let our kids go back to school. But then you say that and it sounds reckless about the kids who may catch it or their teachers or whatever. And, and so I don't even know how to talk about this, but the point is we are pretty excited that our kids are going to be going back to school. Now they're only going to be in one room. It's going to be reduced day. They have to wear masks. Um, my oldest two are in junior high and they have to stay in the same room all day and their teachers will swap out, not the students. And they have lunch in there. They can't leave. So, I mean, that sounds kind of horrible at the same time. And, and I'm afraid our, our uh, governor might get some pressure to stop and go back to like maybe two days a week, which is what a lot of other states are doing. It's a mess. And there's no, there's no perfect solution to this, by the way. You know, there's no thing yeah. that you can declare and say, this is what we're going to do where everyone's going to be happy about it. You know, both parties are going to be like, yes, let's do it. But it, it is too political an issue and it will never please everyone. And so instead one side is constantly angry, you know, no matter what, right. especially with our president. So, yeah, that sounds fairly sensible though. Just have the kids static and move the teachers around right. rather than moving all the kids. Yeah. And I know. put them in a position where they're going around all the time and exposing them to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, you say this and then there's somebody out there, some listener of ours who knows of a child that died of coronavirus because they weren't taking it seriously. And I, 
I feel that I'm trying to be sensitive to that. It's, there's just no way to win. You know, there's yeah. no way to solve this in a way that pleases everybody. I think my son's school district is, is lining everything up to where they can do online school for yeah. them. And it sounds like they're trying to get to the point where they give kids that don't have a device, some kind of device that they could do from home. Yeah. If they need yeah. to. Yeah, that's part of this too. Apparently there are options. If you are skittish about sending your kids back to school, there are online options. You can do it from home, which is great. There should be options everywhere. If you're, you know, if you're over 70 and you feel like visiting your grandkids and they're okay with it, then that should be your choice. And if you don't want to, or you're skittish about it, then don't. I mean, it's, it's can be a choice thing, but but then you say that, and that's politically charged. So anyway, yes, that's it. And this is one of the reasons to send all the kids back is because for a lot of like low-income families where they don't have the, the devices, like you were saying, or they don't have the support at home to give the kids the kind of education they need. So anyway, it's, it's tricky, all of it. Um, but uh, anyway, to shift gears a little bit, I when we last did this... Um, this retro i had not gotten a job but thankfully just a few days after we recorded the last one i did and i was and so i'm thankfully back at work just want to give everyone a quick update it's and i you know it's kind of a miracle because first of all i had all these things lined up like looking good and then of course COVID hit and they all froze but this one company that i got a job with is a company that i've been trying to get a job with for years and it's more money than I've made before, and uh, it's a great company, and it uh, so it all worked out miraculously, and I am so grateful. So I went back to work at the beginning of May. Farah went back to work a couple of weeks before that, and so uh, all is well. All is well in the Lamoureux house, thankfully, after uh, the first half of the year being really touch and go. So anyway. Just thought I'd update everybody on that. Okay. And how are you doing? How are you holding up? I mean, uh, good. You know, yeah. 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 I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. Are you able yeah. to, like, the one thing, the thing I miss most about quarantine is <clears throat> you would think it would be concerts and movies, and I do miss those things. The thing I miss more than anything is eating out. I miss going to a restaurant and just sitting and, uh, getting like a giant smothered burrito and free Coke refills and listening to podcasts while I sit and just enjoy a meal that I miss more than anything. Are you guys able to go like, are, are things open up enough for you there and uh, that you can like go eat out or go to a movie or anything? They aren't, are they? They are just starting. Okay. We've had a much more measured approach than down South. Okay. And, and you see that in the numbers. Okay. Huh. Well, hopefully, I don't know. I mean, hopefully things ease back up. Um, okay. Next section. So I posted this just the other day. We were featured in classic pop magazine. That's pretty amazing. So let me tell you how this happened. So last, I think it was last like November, December, someone from classic pop magazine emailed the hustle and said, you know, we'd like to feature you in an upcoming issue. It's like, heck yeah. So here, Classic Pop Magazine 
I follow them on Facebook and stuff and Twitter, but because they're British, buying one issue of Classic Pop Magazine in the States is like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And so I never do it, even though I want, I desperately want to read it because it's all the music that I love. And there are on cheaper online subscriptions, but I like holding a magazine. I don't want to read it on like a Kindle or, a, you know, a tablet or something. So anyway, I um, apparently who we have to thank for this is one of our listeners is Andrew Dinely. And if you ever listen to the Permanent Record podcast, which I hope you do, our friends, Brian and Sarah, Andrew is sometimes a guest on their podcast. Andrew is a ga- graphic artist, and he has his own podcast, by the way, called Art on Your Sleeve. And he interviews gra- other graphic artists who have worked on like album covers and singles and posters and swag relating to bands. It's really interesting. Well, Andrew, I guess, is a friend of ours, and he does some work for Classic Pop. And he recommended a bunch of, I don't know, podcasts that he knows, like Permanent Record and us, uh, that they should feature in the in the magazine. And so they did. And he so they emailed me some questions. It was going to be short, and I wrote up quick answers and send them back. Well, but then when Corona hit, the magazine went on hold, just like everything else did. And so I kind of forgot about it. I just assumed that it would never come out or I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about it anymore. But then Brian from Permanent Record pinged me the other day on Facebook and said, have you seen this? And there we are, featured right in Classic Pop Magazine. And it's got our names on it, Yan. Yep. That's crazy. I saw that. Yeah, so that. <laughs> and just to give some background to folks, I, I went and did some digging and looked up. And they have a like a 25,000 plus circulation. So if you, if you think about that, 25,000 households are going to see us listed as their number two pop-friendly podcast. So if you work on two to three people per household, that's mm-hmm. maybe 50 to 75 KC in their name. Isn't that crazy? Who knew, you know? I know you weren't there at the very beginning, but pretty close to the beginning. I just, I just wanted to talk to rock stars and have the kind of conversations that I wanted to have. Not the like super promotional ones, not the very rote ones where it's like, oh, where, when did you first pick up an instrument? Or how did you figure out, how did you come up with the name of your band? Or any of that kind of stuff. I just wanted to have deeper, meaningful conversations. And uh, here we are over five years later and we're in magazines and we got featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I mean, it's just crazy to me. We, we did it, Yan, you know? It's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we just need to get more people to listen. Yeah, <laughs> that's the hardest part about all of this. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. I don't know what to do. Um, all right, so let's get into kind of uh, giving our thoughts and commentary on the last couple of months. They have been crazy because, I mean, almost every week we've put out two episodes instead of just one. How do you? How are you holding up? You're the one I'm always concerned about. Are you oh, just, okay with I'm this? Doing great. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Because you know this, everyone is available. No one, yeah. you know, ever no one's got anything better to do. And so all these people so first and foremost, I mean, I I said I started doing the deep dives because I really just wanted to stay in touch with some of our old guests, you know. 
they come on, we have these really great conversations and good experiences, and then they're gone. And I just thought, I, I want to reconnect. I want them to know that, you know, I care about them. And so what if we brought them back on and we could deep dive an album and just reconfirm, re-strengthen those connections? And that's why I started doing it. And now, uh, you know, everyone's free. And so I've been doing a lot of them. But then that's, you know, twice as much work for you. And so I'm that's always worried. Fine with me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. That makes me feel better. I'm always Give worried. Give me something to do. <laughs> I know. I know. There's not much else. So, yeah. So we had a ton of content the last three months. I hope it was good content. I have noticed that, like, the download numbers for bonus content, whether they be a bonus or a promo mode or a deep dive or whatever, are usually smaller than our definitive Tuesday episodes. So you guys tell me, I mean, if, if deep dives and promo modes and stuff don't mean anything to you, tell me. And I guess, I, well, I don't know if I would actually stop because it still matters to me to reconnect with these people, but I'll go in with, I'll set my expectations differently, but I hope that uh, and some you know sometimes we're talking about obscure albums sometimes they're classic albums i think it's fun bonus content that if you love music you're going to love it no matter what you know but maybe i'm wrong i don't know okay i think we left off i think lisa lisa is the first of this of the last 3 months that we put out uh first and foremost yan did you know do you remember lisa lisa from the 80s and secondly scale of 1 to 10 how hot is Lisa Lisa? Uh, let's see. Is, is one to ten enough? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, oh, man. My, like, 14-year-old self was uh, going nuts in that conversation. And, in fact, there were... I shouldn't admit this, but I'll admit it anyway. There were a couple of moments in the interview where I was jokingly making reference to like how hot I thought she was back in the day. Uh -huh. And she didn't really laugh. And it sounded so skeevy, I asked you to cut it out. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. I wasn't men, I, I make it a point no matter, anytime I have a woman on here, which I wish we had more female guests. Absolutely. Me too. Because there's some really great female artists out there. Absolutely. They deserve to have their story told. Absolutely. And so I'm always trying to be very careful whenever we have a, a, a female on here not to come off like some misogynist. And so, but Le I mean, I just loved Lisa Lisa back in the day, but I still am not going to be like some slimy sleazebag. So I would kind of joke about it and it didn't go anywhere. So we cut it all out. So. <laughs> Anyway, she was a real sweetheart. I don't know how used to doing long-form interviews she was. She's another one who, and it, we should say this, I, uh, Steve Cooper from the Cooper Talk podcast is a huge help. He and I are always kind of like bouncing back and forth. Hey, I, I landed this one. Are you interested? Hey, I got this guy on the show. Do you want to talk to him? So I'm really grateful for Steve. And Lisa came on our show and his and Noel's Reliving My Youth. We're kind of like a triumvirate there of people who we sort of are helping each other out. And so there are gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of crossover with the three of those. So thank you to Steve. I had been hoping and trying to get Lisa for a long time and I couldn't find a dedicated website for her. 
But anyway, that was a good one. I don't, she's a real sweetheart. I don't know how used to doing long form interviews that she is. So it wasn't, you know, super in depth, but she was a really nice lady. Uh, and you look back at some, I mean, you go back and look at the stuff that she was doing back in the, back in the day. Really talented. Mm -hmm. Super talented. Yeah. And it was, it was knocking me out that, like I said, it came up in the interview when I'm watching her on Friday night videos and my eyes are bulging out of my skull because she's so hot. She was only like 15 years old. I didn't know that. That is crazy. And, and I wanted to say like, I, I mean, I was trying to think of a really respectful way of saying like your mom let you go out that way. Not that Lisa was not a slut or anything, but she just looked amazing. And I just thought, that couldn't have been easy for a parent to watch their very developed, very mature 15-year-old daughter go out with this rock, you know, a R&B group and start touring and they're all men, you know? Anyway. I think they took care of her. Yeah, they did. I think and ultimately they felt protective of her. Yeah. yeah, which is how it should be. Yeah. yeah. Given her I, age. I agree. So anyway, okay, so that was, I was really glad that that happened. Now, Glenn Burtnick, A Deep Dive, we uh, did his Heroes and Zeros album. I had been wanting to reconnect with Glenn for a while. He was a, he was great the first time we had him on the show, and um, he's a real no-nonsense, kind of funny guy. When I asked him to come back on, he said, sure. And when we got on the phone, he was like, do, I, do we know each other? Have we talked before? I was like, yeah, you, uh, you gave me like 45 minutes about three or four years ago. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So he wanted to, his first album is called Talking in Code. Neither of these albums I don't think are available on CD or if they are, they're like super expensive or they're bootlegs or whatever. His first album, Talking in Code, is, I love it so much. And that's what I really wanted to talk about. But he wanted to do his second album, which is totally fine. So I, uh, I thought that would be fun. I just wanted to reconnect with Glenn. One thing I'm noticing, um, I don't know that any, hardly any deep divers ever share their episodes. I wonder what that means, uh, including him and most of the others that we, that are going to come up on here. So I don't know what that means. But anyway, it was just good to reconnect with Glenn. That album is great. He's a great pop songwriter. And um, so I just wanted to read. That was great. Uh, uh, I like that we let the guests pick what they want to talk about. To me, that makes for a great deep dive because then they're they're keyed up on something that they want to talk about that's important to them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, David Wilde. So this one meant a lot to me. Let me. I was not just blowing smoke. David was a big kind of inspiration to me. So when I was at college, when I was in college, BYU. My intention originally, well, my intention my entire life actually was to go into broadcast television. I wanted to be a newsman. I wanted to be like an anchor man on TV. And while I was in college, <clears throat> I started dating a girl who was an anchor woman. She was really beautiful, by the way. But in getting to know her and what that whole world was like, you realize that it's for those people, it's really more about like show business. She would always say, well, you're always like fighting for camera time. So you want to like, you know, you want to look right. And you want to say, you want to come up with a story idea that's going to get more camera time than your peers camera time. You want to move up. And it just, the way she was describing it all 
made that whole world sound really unsavory to me because I thought I don't I'm not interested in going into broadcasting because I want people to look at me I, I like I wanted to go in because I was really I was always really enamored and impressed with people like Walter Cronkite and Ted Koppel and these guys who are on you know are telling our story Dan Rather you know I wanted to be those people not because I wanted people to look at me or I wanted to be in show business because I thought that looked like a really important job that I would like to do. But you realize on the local level, that's not what it is at all. It's just people like kind of have a look at me disease and that didn't appeal to me at all. So anyway, I thought, well, I'll switch then to print journalism because that seems more legit. And around that time I started to get, I started to realize who David Wilde was and he, I would see him on TV and I would see his byline in Rolling Stone and Rolling Stone was like the Bible to me. And he became an example to me of somebody that was doing what I wanted to do. He got to do the best of both worlds. He got to write for a publication that mattered. He got to write about meaningful things. And he would appear on television sometimes to talk about those things. And his, his likes and interests were more diverse than what I thought I was getting mostly out of Rolling Stone. And I thought, that's the guy that I want to be like. I could do what he's doing. Well... He's maintained a career of doing that, and the rest of us went off and, you know, got normal jobs because it didn't work out. But anyway, so when uh, I, David and I first connected about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and he mentioned, he's like, you should have me on the show. And I started thinking, well, what, 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 do, if I'm going to have David Wilde on the show, what do I want the topic to be? I can't just say, hey, how's it going, David? We got to have like a focus and so I started thinking, you know what I want to talk to David about is I want to talk to him and see if he knows why certain bands break up, you know, and if he if we could talk about that in a way where it's not salacious or gossipy or he's compromised having to tell something that he that's a secret. So I start making a list and I have a list on my phone of bands that I want. It's like, what's really going on here, David? And it had like CCR and Journey and Yes and whatever. These bands, like, why are they really splintered? And I just way overthought it. And I thought, I'm not, I'll, I'll have David on when I feel like I've got the right topic, all the right points of conversation. Eventually, he just contacted me and was like, look, I'm doing this Prince uh, tribute show. Bring me on. Let's talk about it. And I just thought, I am, I am way overthinking this. And so he came on, and of course, David's got a million stories. You don't even have to have a focus. You just say, like, David, tell me about the time you met whoever, and he'll tell you. And so I way overthought that. But that was a big, that was a kind of a fun moment for me to just sit and bask in somebody's rock and roll stories. There's nothing better than that, you know? Anyway, do, were you familiar with him? Did you, you put those, that one together? Whenever we have a non-music person on, well, you know what I mean non-musician i like sprinkling in some of their favorite songs are those uh -huh. episodes easier for you to put together because you have fewer like cues to produce well, i don't think it makes much of a difference either way it? no okay yeah i wondered about that because um, well you know what i'm like i'm gonna try and go in and pull out all, all the ums and as i can and clean uh -huh. it up as best as i can so I don't, I don't think it makes much of a difference either way. Yeah, I've noticed. It's funny you say that. I noticed, I've noticed that the episodes come out 
pretty much at the same time, no matter what they are, because I'm imagining you over there in the middle of the night, just like, Ooh, there's an, um, I got to cut that out. You know, you're just like masterminding <laughs> yep. this whole thing. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So big thanks to David for coming on the show. That was great. And I watched that Prince tribute. It was so good. Okay. After that, we did the Van Halen deep dive. So this is another kind of interesting one. Greg Renoff went to the first two rock and pod expos and i went to both those two the first one i didn't really hang out with him as much but i saw him there we chit-chatted i bought his book then at the second one he and i and bj cramp from rock and roll and eric miller from pods and sods shared an airbnb and i've said this many times it was one of the greatest just the most satisfying weekends for me being in this house with three other guys and all of us just sharing our lives with each other. For instance, Greg and Eric both had wives die. Their first wives died. And so they're bonding about that. And Greg and I are bonding about family issues, you know, weird things that have gone on like in our, you know, in our families. And BJ and I are bonding about how hard it is to put out podcasts sometimes we want to have on the show and eric and i are talking deeply about religion and spirituality and he's a diehard atheist and i'm figuring some things out so it was just every conversation meant something and you were there with these four guys anyway the point of all of that is that i really wanted to have greg back on the show but i didn't want it to come off like some kind of promotional thing i wanted it to be a little more meaningful and so i thought well he wrote the book on the early days of van halen Let's see if he'd come on and we can deep dive that first album. He knows a lot about it. And he had a new uh, a new book coming out on Ted Templeman, which I have, but I haven't read it yet. And we had a couple people win those as well. So I, this was a way for me to just, again, going back to reconnect with people. I wanted to spend some time with Greg and I wanted to turn you guys on to his books. And uh, why not talk about Van Halen? That debut album is a masterpiece. So that was the whole story behind Van Halen. Yeah, and I thought that was a, a nice departure from our normal. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I, I need to be careful because I feel like I want these deep dives to be people who are intimately involved in the creation of an album. If it's just someone coming on and talking about an album they like, there are other podcasts like My Favorite Album or our friend Ben Montgomery from Records Revisited. They cover that territory really, really well. And so... I don't want anyone to feel like I'm encroaching on their podcast turf, you know, we'll keep it to what it is. So, but, I, and I thought this fit the bill. Greg's great. His books are great. And that Van Halen album is fantastic. So anyway. Um, all right. Clive Langer came after that. And Clive is a, for me and my likes and purposes, uh, Clive is a legendary producer for me. I mean, Madness was a massive band and Dexy's Midnight Runners and all these other Bowie obviously is in there so much stuff and it was uh, his he and his partner Alan Winstanley were sort of a you know they were team for the most part in a lot of these production jobs and I managed to touch base with Clive and he agreed to came to come on and he said you know anytime we could do it again so I I feel like I need to get him to come back on and do a madness album with us you know deep dive of madness Oh, I know plenty of people would be interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he was great. He, uh, I love talking to people like him or Dave Bascom or Julian Mendelssohn. These people who touched so much of that 80s alternative, British alternative music that I grew up on, that's massive for me. So Clive was great. And that's one of the more popular episodes of this last, of the last three months is that one. And to my knowledge, he didn't share. So we're, t I mean, David Wilde shared his episode a lot, bless his heart. And uh, I think Greg retweeted his, but otherwise no one yet has really shared their episode. And that's going to continue for a little bit here. So after Clive was Joey Scarberry and the Greatest American Hero theme song, do you remember that song, Yan? Yeah, totally iconic. <laughs> totally iconic. No, like, I love oh, that song. That, that song is amazing. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, Joey, so here's the deal. I've been trying to find Joey for years. Thankfully, one of our listeners, and I believe it was Howard Cogswell, hopefully if I've if I'm missing out who, if it wasn't Howard and it was somebody else and I'm forgetting, please uh, don't be mad. I'm sorry. I think it was Howard. Howard Cogswell had been helping me try to find Joey. And Joey had done like an email interview on a blog website 10 years ago or something like that. And Howard found that, sent it to me. What's funny is that I remember reading that back when it came out and forgot all about it. Howard sent me the link to that. I contacted the guy who wrote that, who did that interview. He pointed me in the direction and said, I think Joey now is like a car salesman. And um, so I, uh, he said he would put me, he would contact Joey, but Joey is like, he doesn't return emails very hardly ever. He doesn't return phone calls. He stays really underground. I eventually found the dealership that Joey worked for. And I found his work email. And so I emailed his work email. Joey, I know this is kind of intrusive, but I'd really love to have you on our podcast. Can he event after months, he wrote back like one line, call me. So I call him, but I get his voicemail and he never calls back. And I would try him every couple of months. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, we got it to work. And this was last fall. This was last like, I don't know, September, October, something like that. Finally, it happens. He's a really no-nonsense, straightforward, regular guy. Doesn't miss music at all. Doesn't care. So it was a fun interview. And it's, uh, I mean, like, who doesn't remember that song? And have thought to themselves, what in the world ever happened to this guy? You know? Uh, so we did. I held on to that interview for months because... My intention was, and I'd mentioned this before, was to put out kind of a string of one and dones. People who had put out one album, and that was it. That was all that ever happened. And uh, that's where the Tom Crucier interview from last year with Life by Night, I think that came out on New Year's Eve. That's what that was also a part of too. But I couldn't get enough people all together. A couple people said they'd do it, then they fell out. So I'm just holding on to Joey for months and months. Like, I need to put this thing out. And uh, eventually that just was like, okay, enough, enough holding on to Joey. Let's do it. So anyway, that was that. And of course he has like no internet presence at all. So that never got shared either. And unfortunately, I think that's like our lowest performing episode of the last three months, but it's fun. And it's who doesn't know that song and has wondered where the guy went, you know, anyway, that's the story there. Okay. The rock docs, rock books. 
those are just fun, especially when everyone was in quarantine. This is a way that I thought I want to, I want to bond with other podcasters, but I, so here's the deal. It feels like there's a network. You guys, I'm sure like a lot, so many of our listeners also listen to Pods and Sods, Decibel Geek, Covers and Fire, Rock Solid, Rock and or Roll, Growing Up Rock. There's a whole like network of us and I'm really grateful for the network. I'm always trying to sort of expand beyond that network a little bit, like get the littler guys like a Ben, Mon- they're not so little anymore, but Ben Montgomery or Lane Hewitt or the permanent record people and get them sort of into the community as well so that everyone gives them a shot. And then hopefully we all kind of expand beyond the community and we get a little bigger. And so this was my way of thinking, well, let's find a way to, to get the littler guys into our world and get some bigger guys, get all of us into their world in a way to kind of network and get everybody on the same page. And the idea was to get people who all cover very different things. I don't want like, I don't want grown up rock and Cobras and fire and decibel geek all on the same show. Cause they're, focus is going to be kind of the same thing i want to touch on all different podcasts and that's what that was about i thought they both went really well and the other thing too is i don't want any editing i don't want to put anything on your plate yan i just want them to go out as is so i turn on the recording we do it i turn it off and we put it out and that's it so uh there are more that i'm going to do i kind of have been so busy with other things now that i haven't focused on them for a while, but I do have some other ideas. We may do some more of those. It's just a way to let everybody know that there's more, there are more music podcasts out there in our community. So that's that. All right. I feel like I'm doing most of the talking. Let's talk about real life and their deep dive of the 80s synth essentials album. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. I said that about somebody else later down in the, in my notes here, but he was as good this time around, just as good this time around as he was when we had him on, oh, what, a couple of years or so back? Yeah. Yeah. David Sterry is uh, such a nice man. And he's another one where I just loved him. We became kind of friendly. You know, we'll email once in a while. How you doing? Do you know this guy? Can you put in a good word? Real life was a part of the Lost 80s live tour last year. And they came through Denver. And first of all, I'd had almost every artist on that bill on, on our show at some point. So, but David uh, got me a couple of tickets. So Farrah and I were able to go. And oh, uh, awesome. yes, and then I got to meet him afterwards for a few minutes. There was this whole like paid meet and greet afterwards where you, you paid to have people sign things and all the money went to like a hospital. So it was for charity. Fee Waybill of the Tubes, he was out there signing things. Uh, every artist that had been on the bill was out there doing that. And I, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to pay to say hello to David real quick. I just wanted to thank him for the tickets. So I went up, we talked for a couple of minutes and um, he was just such a sweetheart. And there are some great real life albums out there by talking about this new one it was not a knock on any old real life albums it was just that he did a covers album of all these great 80s synth bands and i thought this would be really fun to talk about why you know first of all why these bands and these songs matter to him and what his thinking was when he recreated them for himself i just thought that sounded kind of fun so that's what we did 
Um, he did a fantastic job on those covers. They were great. I do too. They yeah. were. Yeah, I agree. And so David is such a sweet man. We're lucky that he likes us. And, uh, you know, he um, he did share his deep dive. And I, not to, he said something in his post sharing it that really meant a lot to me. It, it was a very respectful post about us and the work we do. And that meant a lot to me. But one thing he said in there was that to John, all bands are equal or all of us are equal or something like that. And, I thought that means that hits the nail on the head because some of, you know, maybe David feels like, well, there, yes, I do my little real, real life thing, but you know, new order, they're amazing. And your rhythmics are amazing. And, uh, soft cell are amazing. I could never compete with them, but in our I hands, he can sing though. He can't. Well, that, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> But in when he comes on our show, I want him to feel that he's just as important as all of those other people are because he is. They they're just as valid, and so and he he caught on to that, and that's what that means a lot to me. That I want our guest. I mean, if you can't tell, whenever a guest comes on the show, I just want them to feel like they are so important because they are. You know, they matter, and there's it's not a contest of who matters more. They all matter. So he got it, and I was really grateful. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked his Eurythmics cover. Yes, me too. Um, I think my favorite one on that one was Cars, his version of Gary Newman's Cars. But they're, all of them were great. And uh, just hearing him talk about why those songs matter to him was a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so this one, Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads. There's a story here. So that week was our fifth birthday, and I always try to make our fifth birthday, our birthday guests, someone, you know, really special. Not to counteract everything I just said about people being equal, but somebody who is right in our wheelhouse, somebody we talk about a lot, somebody that we get a lot of requests for, whatever it might be. I always want the birthday guest to be like, boom, somebody, somebody that everyone has been dying to hear from. So that birthday guest was supposed to be Andrew Ferris from NXS. I had been working for months to get and so here's the deal. Andrew technically is part of should be part of our next deep dive our next retro, but maybe we'll talk about him at the end of this just because I think he's fresh in people's minds and they'd want to know. Anyway, Andrew and I were supposed to have talked months ago. And his publicist was like, you know, let's time this around the begin the the release of the album country album which was supposed to be early may let's do this in mid-april i said great because we want him to be our special fifth birthday guest that's at the beginning of may too we'll do the interview in mid-april i was a little nervous because it had been bumped a couple of months by then already but if you are committing to me that he will be available in mid-april then i will hold that slot for him and he can be our fifth birthday guest great well then mid-april comes around and they cancel because his album has been postponed Corona. Well, now I don't really have that special birthday guest that I wanted. So I was debating between should we put out, should we make maybe our most iconic interview our fifth birthday guest, which in this case would be Jerry Harrison, or should we make our fifth birthday episode like my favorite interview, which is actually the following weeks, which was Miles Hunt from 
wonder stuff. And I'm going back and forth. I can't decide what to do. I ask Farah about it. I always run these some of these heavier decisions. The, the world hangs in, a, in the balance. They want to know desperately, who, what is what is the hustle going to do for their fifth birthday? Anyway, ask Farrah, and she says, I think you should go with Jerry Harrison. Good so that's how, Yeah, that's how Talking Heads became our, our fifth birthday episode. Um, it's, it's like, it's Talking Heads. I know. It's amazing. Um, I will say that wasn't, one of the downfalls of doing this is that Yes, it is great to talk to people like Jerry Harrison or Andrew Ferris or Cosmo Clifford or whoever, but it's you don't just want to have them on the show. You want to have the kind of conversation you really want to have with that person as well. And it doesn't always go that way, as you guys know. And so this wasn't really, the, I would say, the exact interview I would like, I wanted to have with Jerry Harrison. I would have rather gone kind of deeper into the Talking Heads stuff and his production work, but it was still, I'm just grateful that we have a Talking Head on our resume here. You know what I mean? We got yeah. to hear, we got to cover that band and hear from that band and they're on our list. And that matters. Yeah, and it was a great interview. Yeah. And he, he brought some really good stuff to the table. He did, and I feel really bad because he was coming on mostly to promote that Remain in Light tour that he was going out about to go out on. And when we did that interview, it it was just as Corona hit, and so it was looking like he wasn't sure. Like, is this going to be postponed? Are we going to be able to do this later in the year? We don't know. And it turns out, who knows when or if he'll ever be able to do it. You know, I don't think concerts are going to come back until next year, and maybe not even then. You know, yeah. So not, I feel not bad. in the way they were. Yeah. No, no, I feel bad. But anyway, we were lucky to have Jerry Harrison. Okay, and then after that, there was Cosmo Clifford, another rock and roll Hall of Famer from CCR. And uh, I had some reservations about this when his his PR person is Wendy, who we know really well because she handles Stu Cook as well, and Stu's been on twice. And she contacted me and said, would you, would you want to talk to Cosmo Clifford about his new solo album? Now, of course, yes, I want to talk to a member of CCR, but I don't, I try not to double up on the same bands very often on here because otherwise that just, I mean, like I remember when we had Eric Bazillion of the Hooters on and I got a lot of comments from people and this is, I'm talking the first time back in the early days. I got a lot of comments from people, well, now you should go get Rob Hyman on too. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'm going to talk to every member of every band, this is you're just going to hear different versions of the same story. And that there's so many other bands that I want to cover. You know, I don't know that I want to keep talking to the same people from say from or the same bands over and over again. So I was hesitant to talk to Cosmo, but you felt very strongly differently. Yeah, most of the time, the airtime's going to Fogger. Stu and Doug were not the ones really getting the, the most of time to tell their stories, so I thought it was good to get get it from his perspective as well, and and get a chance to talk about his solo work, and it's great. It is. I like that album a lot. It is very much an 80s rock album, but what's wrong with that? That is great. And his stories of just like, you know, he lives in Tahoe, and he found this album that he had forgotten about in a locker in his garage i mean like how do you who does that you know 
And uh, so anyway, he's a really sweet guy. Plus, it was interesting. It was worth it to have him on for two reasons. One, to clarify the supposed reunion that they had with John Fogarty last year, which wasn't actually a reunion. It was just a business deal. And then to learn that CCR, Queens Clearwater Revisited, are officially retired. That was kind of big news. We got both of those things in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, and plus, it's just nice to say we had another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on the show. Uh, okay, after that was Miles Hunt. And this is one of my favorite interviews we've ever had. It was so, it was so great. The Wonder Stuff were huge. And, and I always equate, I really came around to loving the Wonder Stuff when I moved to Cambridge in 91 and became buddies with you. You probably yep. knew, I mean, you know these guys, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, um, he. So, I've always loved the Wonder Stuff. I've always had the impression that Miles was super prickly and kind of angry, and that he would um, <clears throat> kind of chew up and spit out anyone he didn't like. And uh, I just thought, what if I get it? What if I start talking to Miles and he doesn't like me, and he makes it known, and he's rude, and he's like, you know he just eats me alive in this interview and so I was kind of nervous nothing could have been further from the truth he was so nice and sweet and he promoted the heck out of our of this episode it, it's our it's our second biggest episode of the year because he told all of his fans first of all right after we finished he posted on Facebook I just did like I don't remember what the exact wording was but it was something like, I just did the best interview. I can't wait for all of you to hear it. I'll let you know when it comes out. Like, who does that? Nobody does that. And so I was so pumped for it to actually come out. And as soon as it did, he said, he told his fans, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this interview. And we're going to do another one. I'm going to bring him back on to do a deep dive of Never Loved Elvis or something. And uh, it was just, it was so nice and supportive and I, it was the complete opposite of what I thought was going to go ah, he was just he was fantastic and if you think about the time that when you know when when they were big I thought he did great to handle Vic Reeves <laughs> now Vic Reeves is not an American thing at all so you tell us why what tell us about Vic Reeves why was that such a thing uh, Vic Reeves is a, is a comedian, oh. and I, th I mean, I thought that was a odd combination, them and Vic Reeves, but it worked. It did work, and Dizzy is a great song. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I um, I'm so thankful to Miles Hunt. Uh, that was that was a major one. I love that band, and I love him, and I really wanted that to go well. And I'm so grateful that it did. And we had good chemistry. And there was a technical issue at the beginning. The microphone wasn't working. So I kept having to call him and I'm panicked. So we, it, uh, there's nothing worse than having technical issues when one of your rock heroes is on the other line. It is, so anyway, that was, that was fantastic. Um, and then we followed that up with the Level 42 deep dive with Mike Lindup. And that's our biggest episode of the year. Yeah, and he shared that. They, that yeah. was on their page very quickly. It was. You're right. Like later that day or something. And um, that that was another one. He was kind of the idea for starting the deep dives because he and I had such a great conversation. That first episode of his, 
is by far our most downloaded episode, and it's because he got it posted on their band's website for so long. And I just thought, I got to find a way to reconnect with someone like Mike. How are we going to do this? And um, he, now granted, yes, I heard from some people where it was like, that was so good. I wish you had done World Machine or Running in the Family. And I am with you. I feel that way too. I love those albums. But when you leave, like Yan was saying earlier, when you leave it up to the guests to decide and they pick something else, in this case, the debut album, they're more emotionally invested in the conversation that we're about to have, you know? They bring their stories of that album that matter to them. And that's ultimately more what you want, you know? Yep, absolutely. And yeah. again, his, his, his voice is just, I want to say it's unique. No, I know it is. I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but his voice is like my favorite recorded sound. There, I, you know, there's, there's birds chirping, there's babies crying, there, or laughing, I should say. There's the sound of like a baseball hitting a bat in the sweet spot. And then there's listening to Mike Lindup sing, whether it's his regular voice or his falsetto. I love that sound. I can't get enough of it. And so it, he means so much to me. And uh, having him, you know, come on a second time and like us enough to do that, he's a sweetheart. And we're, we got really lucky with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, Level 42 always reminds me of you too, Yan, because that same summer, 91, when we moved to Cambridge, I had my, like, a case of tapes in our car when we moved there. And uh, World Machine was the tape that my whole family could agree on. And so that tape never left our car for months and months and months. It and level 42, what's that? More night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So that, that tape, that album matters. That's like big in our family. Level 42 is a big deal for us. I love those guys. Okay. Joe Jackson's guitarist. There's a, there's a whole, this is a, there's a long story attached to this one. Let me, let me tell you about it. So last fall, I think it was last like September uh, one of our listeners our friend Rob Disner con uh, uh, messages me on Facebook and he says you know Gary Sanford is on Facebook you should talk to him I'm thinking yeah that's a really good idea actually and he says that and before I can even respond he says so is Vinny Zumo and Tom Teeley and as I just got done saying I don't like having bunch of people on talking about the same thing like in this case it would be three episodes uh about joe jackson and uh, so thinking well how do i do this because i would really i love joe jackson and i would love to talk to all three of those guys but i don't want it to be three separate episodes especially if now they all did other things but joe was the focus for all three of those guys' careers so there's not a bunch of other stuff to talk about so I think, well, what if we put it all in one episode? That sounds like a job for Paul Underwood because Paul is great at doing that kind of stuff. He only, at back when he was helping us out, I haven't talked to Paul in months, so I'll tell you more about that in a second. He would do one a month, one episode a month. And he's so good at it. So I thought, well, this could be the next Paul Underwood episode. He, it'll, he'll have plenty of time. He'll work those three things together beautifully. It'll make a ton of sense. So I line up, I contact all three of those guys on Facebook. Uh, immediately, Gary says yes. And Voon, Vinny says yes. I don't hear from Tom for a while. And I go to Paul and I say, Paul, I, I think I have a great idea for another episode. 
And I tell him what it is, and he's like, eh, I've never really listened to Joe Jackson. I don't know if I'd like that. And so I'm kind of panicked because I know this is going to be a big endeavor for you, Yan, if Paul doesn't do it. And uh, not that it, nothing against you, I just am trying to always put less work on your plate, you know? So I, um, and at the time, so then around October, Paul says to me, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really busy for the end of the, for the rest of the year. I don't think I can do any more episodes. And uh, I think, okay, well, let me try and get these interviews done. And hopefully I can kind of warm him up to the idea of doing this episode maybe in January. So I do the interview with Gary and uh, I just feel like it's okay. He And he contacted me afterwards and he said, I hate the way I sound. I should never do interviews, live interviews. Um, I almost wish you wouldn't put this out. And I'm like, Gary, it was fine. I mean, it's not, you know, the most, not all of it is like super profound, but it, there's some really good nuggets in there. It's fine, it's fine. And I'm still thinking in my mind, well, we'll, we'll, we'll trim it. We'll make it sound great. I'll give it to Paul and Paul will say, well, this part's boring. We'll cut this out. This part's great. He'll he'll work with it. I'm not worried about it. And then I do Vinny. So then when Paul says that he doesn't want to do anything for the rest of the year, I kind of slow play the Vinny and the Tom. Eventually I talk to Vinny and um, his requires a lot of editing too. He's a super nice guy, but he's kind of all over the place. I'm thinking, okay, gosh, I gotta give this one to Paul. Well, eventually Paul kind of decides, you know what, unless I like the guest or I'm really invested in the guest, I don't really want to do these anymore. Like, okay, well, great. Um, I don't really know what to do because I've got this thing that I'm working on that I thought would be perfect for you and I to do together. And uh, it's two thirds of the way done. And I really wish you'd, you'd do it with me. Can I at least give you the interviews I've done and you trim them up and you cut out whatever parts you don't think are interesting, send the file back to me that this is, you know, that's them at their best. And then I'll send those to Yan. I, that way Yan doesn't have as much work to do. And um, he says he would, but he never does. And again, because he's just not feeling very inspired. By the topic. Eventually Tom comes around. I hear from Tom, Tom agrees. So I do all three. Now, the truth of the matter is I haven't heard from Paul in months. I feel bad. He did the Holly Knight episode, but that was it. And I haven't really talked to him for about three months. And I think, you know, we talked earlier at the beginning of this conversation what a, like, politically tense time this is. And um, one, of the, one of the downsides of the political climate, especially in America, is that people with different political views are getting stretched even further apart and um in that i mean maybe you all feel this you lose friends you lose family members anybody it, things are so especially the last year or so if you feel one way you are deeper entrenched in those that ideology and if you feel another way you are too and it's just tearing people apart and we've never talked about it but i think that's what's going on he and i are different politically and i think he like a lot of people, doesn't want, you know, people who are loudly having different opinions in his world. And so I haven't talked to him in months. I don't know what's going on. I miss my friend. I love him a lot, but he's kind of not in the picture anymore. And I think that might be why. I don't know for sure. So eventually I was like, uh, yeah, and I, this one's for you, buddy. 
And uh, you did it, and you did a great job. And I'm so relieved. I was worried about nothing because you made it perfect. And I just figured it felt like such a big job that I thought I needed to give it to somebody else because I, I know how you work. And I'm just imagining you at two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday night, like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this done. Why is John giving me this huge pile of work on my plate? And so I was trying to make life easier for you, but eventually you killed it. That's the long story of this. And I think when you when we posted it, didn't I think we talked about uh, Gary had said to you, well, what, he didn't want it posted, yeah. and then he listened to it, and it was he was happy with it. Yes. That's right. I forgot to mention that he after it came out. I keep in mind when it came out, my interview with Gary had been done seven or eight months before, six seven months before, something like that. So I pinged Gary and was like, Gary, we finally put out that episode you and I did together. And his reply was, I thought I told you I didn't want that out there. And I was like, well, you said you hoped that it you didn't like it, but you didn't outright say, do not put my interview out. And I said, just listen to it. I think you'll like it. And he did. And he came back and said, that was actually really great. I don't know what I was worried about. And of the three guys, he was the only one that shared it. And so... He shared it and said, you know, this is an interview I did a long time ago that I think you'll like. And uh, so it t he, a total 180 from Gary Sanford, you know? There was a lot of editing went into that to make him as good as he came out. But I know. So. Yeah, you did such a great job, Jan. And I'm really grateful. And uh, I, like I said, I'm always trying to give you less work to do. But I, whatever it is that we end up doing on here, you nail it every time and so it turned out great it was long it was long but it was worth it and what's really interesting to me is that to me that episode was meant to be kind of a, an appetizer for Graham maybe the following week who was the bigger deal to me Graham the bassist has been with Joe all along and he's worked with all these other people he's the he's the stalwart he's the guy who's been there from the beginning that story is the interesting one and I should say, I not want to, like I say, I don't like to double dip with the same artist. Well, I never, I've been trying for years to get Graham and never heard back. And so my thinking was the only way to really, and Joe turned me down. So the only way to really tell Joe's story is through his guitarists. Well, thankfully, Tom is still in touch with Graham and Tom put in a good word for me. And so Graham came back and said, John, I understand you want to have me on your podcast it's like, well, now I've got like an embarrassment of riches here. Now I get to hear from everybody except Joe, obviously. So my thinking was the guitarists are like an appetizer and Graham is the big story. That's the one that people are going to really flock to. The download numbers are reversed. The <laughs> guitarist episode has like a few hundred more downloads than the Graham maybe one does, which is really interesting to me because to me, Graham is the star of that, of that sequence there. But anyway. Who knows? Who knows why this stuff happens? But a huge thanks to Tom Teeley. And Graham is one of my favorite musicians ever. And so him coming on the show was like a huge deal. And he was very, I mean, he was, you know, he was forthright about, first of all, he doesn't mind calling Joe out on his crap. And he was forthright about, you know, some of the trials in his life, like, the, you know, getting divorced, having an affair, life's good now, thank goodness, the money issues, whatever it might be. Graham is the best. I love that. Yeah, oh, he was 
was he was quite good, and it, it was good to get his perspective on that. You know why he is able to sit there and be on everything, whereas one of the others might not fit for something else. Very true. Very true. And I hope I heard one of my favorite things was when those episodes came out, I was seeing so many posts from other people who were posting like Joe Jackson songs on Facebook or Twitter. And I know what inspired that. And it was us, you know, they had listened to us to the, our shows. And then they were like, I've always loved this song. And they posted Joe Jackson video or so many people. And this happened this, I've been hearing tons of this with the NXS episode too. Just, I've been going back, listening to a lo- bunch of Joe Jackson. It was so great. That is exactly what we hope happens with these, is that people are reminded how great some of this music is. So anyway, that's the long story of Joe Jackson and his guitarist. And Paul, if you're listening, I miss you, buddy. And I know we don't agree on political things, but if you can see past that, um, you're my friend. Come back. I don't know where you are. The way I see it, I'm there for the music. <laughs> True. That's it. That's I it. don't care for what somebody's political persuasion is. And he and I have never actually talked. We don't argue about politics. I just, and maybe I have this completely wrong. That's just what I think is going on. So anyway. Uh, okay, real quick. We had, I, I brought back on my daughter, Georgia. It's funny. Whenever um, I listen to other podcasts, no offense to like the Pat Francis or the Lane Hewitts of the world. When you bring your daughters on, I don't always listen to those episodes, especially if it's around new music, because I don't have anything to say about new music most often. But that didn't stop me from bringing my own daughter on my show and making all of you listen to it. I think she's great. I think she's smart. She has great taste in music. I think it's really fascinating to learn what she likes that I turned her on to. So I'm really proud of her, and I wanted to share her our conversation with all of you. So anyway. And that's another one that I just turn on the recorder and when we're done, we turn it off and we put it out because I don't want Yan to fuss with it. Okay, Phil Spaulding, GTR Deep Dive. Phil was one of the first people I reached out to when I had the ideas for Deep Dives a year and a half ago or more. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And then um, he went silent because it's sometimes hard to get Rockstar's attention for very long because <laughs> they're very busy. But uh, eventually we did it, and I really wanted to go deep on that GTR album. And uh, he's a really sweet guy, and he's great that he, it's so nice of him to give us some time. And to hear the ins and outs of that album and that band, that short-lived supergroup, why Steve Hackett and Steve Howe maybe couldn't make it last, where his you know uh, alignment lies, whatever happened to Max Bacon and Jonathan Mover, and um, just hearing that whole story was really fascinating to me. And I, I love that album, so I was really glad to share that with everybody. Oh, he was, he was so great about how you know, the two, the two other guys. He was just, and didn't think he held back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a sweetheart. We're he's another one. We're lucky to have relationships with these people. Um, yeah. Okay, Shelly Pikin. Now, let me say, I know that she isn't our normal type of guest. When her, their publicist, her publicist approached me and said, would you be interested in having Shelly Pikin on? My initial thought was, well, you know, I got to be honest, I don't listen to uh, Ashley Tisdale and Lindsay Lohan and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And uh, all. The, I don't listen to the, a lot of those Disney artists or whatever, so I don't have a lot to say. But... I have been dying to have Meredith Brooks on here 
because of that song, Bitch. Like, where in the world did Meredith Brooks go? You know, she has this hit, then she disappears. So I thought, well, if Shelly, Shelly may be my only opportunity to talk about that song, because I don't know if I'll ever be able to find Meredith. I don't think she has a functioning website. I can't find her anywhere. So that, well, yeah, this is going to be, and we're always trying to get more ladies on the show. So yeah, let's talk to her. I don't know enough about what Shelly, uh, that that world, a lot of the people that Shelly writes songs for. What a fascinating world that would be. If you're the key, if you're a key songwriter for all of these young female ingenues, what kind of a life does that provide? Like, is that, is it satisfying? Are you, is it a very smart business idea? Like you make lots of money. Maybe the big wigs aren't recording your songs, but you'd be shocked to know like how, lucrative it is or or do you wish that like yeah i wish rod stewart would record my song or sting or somebody else i don't know what's that like so i thought it'd be really interesting to have her on and um, i wish i could do that one over again because she deserved more she was such a great lady and i didn't know her very well until after i read her book and her book is so good confessions of a serial songwriter and i wish that i talked to her after that because i felt like i knew her better and um I maybe got went in not knowing enough about who she, what she's done and who she is and who she's worked with and how she'd feel about that. And so I was a little naive and um, she deserved better than that. And so I wish I could do that one over again because she was a really nice lady. Oh, she was fantastic. Oh, I'll, I'll need to go see if her book's on Audible or something like that. Mm, mm. But, I don't uh, know. That's a good question. She mailed me a copy and it's a quick, easy read and it's so fun. She's a really nice lady. One of the one of the things I thought was so fun about that, I mean, I'm like you. I'm probably not gonna listen to some of the the artists that she's done, but to have that many come out of the like the Disney or the Nickelodeon stable, and she's writing songs for that many mm-hmm. young artists, that's incredible. It is, and I mean that's a. It's like if you were the one person who knew how to, if you were the plumber that had like the one tool or you were a musician that had the one drum machine, you're the expert at this one thing, this one little niche. That's your niche. That's what people call you for. You know, her niche is writing. Unfortunately, they're largely album tracks. They're not singles, but her niche is to write album tracks for those kinds of artists. And I thought... That's a really interesting way to build a career. Plus, come to find out, I found out afterwards, her and uh, she and David Wilde are neighbors and really good friends. He wrote the foreword of her book. So anyway, she was great. I, I was really glad that she came on and that we did that. And we kind of expanded our reach a little bit. And the, the, her story about when her kid comes home from school and, and uh, Miley, Miley Cyrus is, yeah. is in the living room. That was hilarious. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a big music business. Not everyone is Steven Tyler. Some people yeah. do other things, you know? So anyway, I'm really glad we told that story. Uh, so after that, we put out a bonus with the Yacht Rock Review people uh, with Nick Nespajani. As I mentioned before, that one was a long time coming. He and I talked first over 18 months ago, and it was back when I was having these issues that would come up sometimes, where only half of the interview would record. That happened like four or five times. 
And that happened with him. And I feel so bad because he was great. And so I asked him, like, can we do this again? And they are so busy. They're constantly on the road, you know? He's putting on, like, a couple of shows a week everywhere all the time. And so I wasn't able to get him, and I just kind of left it alone. I just thought he's... Truthfully, he's a pretty cool guy. And uh, you, you know when you're around cool people that kind of make you feel like you're not very cool, like they're cool? And they don't do uh -huh. it because... They don't do it in an arrogant way. It's just the way they they kind of carry themselves. That's kind of how it felt with Nick. And I said, I feel like kind of a loser bugging him to come on my little podcast. So I left him alone for a long time. And finally, when COVID hit, I thought, well, Yacht Rock Review is not going anywhere. I'll see if he'll talk. <laughs> yep. Just like talk. anybody else. Exactly. Exactly. So he finally made some time. So we did it. We had a great conversation. I don't know if it was quite as good as the first one, but it was still good. I didn't include my top five Yacht Rock songs this time because Noel and I had just done our top 10 Yacht Rock songs a few months ago, so didn't need to double up. Those little like house videos that he posts periodically are great. They apparently, I think last week, just did a uh, one of those drive-in movie concerts. Are you... I don't even know. Do they have? Do they still have any drive-in movie theaters in the UK? Again, I don't know. Although I did see something where an artist was doing that in London, where there were people. They were doing like a drive-in. They were promoting like a drive-in concert. Yeah, yeah. So people, artists are taking over drive-in movie theaters, which they're you know have been dead for years, and so there's not that many left in the country. But now they're kind of being revitalized because artists are putting on shows where people can sit in their cars, you know, obviously, and watch the concert from their car. It is genius. I mean, I don't obviously I don't think that could ever replace an actual live concert experience, but it's pretty close. And the experience of it all has to be kind of fun. And uh, so I would go to one of those in a second if it was a band that I liked. And uh, they just put off one of did a show like that in Indiana last week, I think. And I've, I've heard really good things. I guess it went really well. So I'm really happy for them because they're uh, they're so much fun. When things go back to normal, if you get a chance to talk to them or go see them in concert, go. Because it's a blast. It's like two and a half hours and it's just a total jukebox of all the songs that you like. And they play it up and they wear the costumes and it's a riot. And that felt like, that felt more suited to a bonus episode than a definitive Tuesday episode. So that's why that's what that was. Um, I don't know. I, I always try to reserve the Tuesday interviews for like the definitive final word on some artist that we all know. And these guys are, you know, they're, it's fun and it's different. And so I kind of made that a, a bonus. Okay. Shelly Yakis. Now Shelly Yakis is for anyone who doesn't know, is kind of a legendary engineer and, uh, he's been around since the 60s. And um, I saw, I was watching one of those classic album shows on Tom Petty's Damn the Torpedoes. And he came on and they were saying, he and Jimmy Iovine in that show, you know, we, get, we can't get this right. We got to get this right. Who should we call to come in? I know. Let's call Shelly Yakis. He's, he's a genius. Shelly comes on and I start thinking, that's a guy whose story I want to hear. And he's done so much stuff. Now, there's a little bit of what I've noticed with a lot of people who are more engineers than they are producers, where um, they aren't necessarily, you know, their their head space is more 
in the technical side of things, it's not always interacting with the actual artist and like contributing to what a song sounds like in the creative, in the creation stage. It's more after the fact, like how am I going to get this to sound right and the levels and all that kind of stuff. That to me is a little less interesting than a one-on-one -on -one interpersonal stories. But he had some of those and he's a legend. And it was great that, you know, he's an older guy now and we got his, le he got his story on, on tape to share. And I heard from a few people who were like, I wish that had gone longer. I was, wasn't sure whether his story was interesting or how everyone would feel about it. And it uh, sounds like, I guess, people liked it. What'd you think, Yeah. Uh, I thought he was great. I think he maybe struggles a little, a little bit with CRS disease. What's CRS? Can't remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You never heard that one before. I <laughs> haven't heard that one before. Oh, okay. But the, the stuff he did remember was absolutely gold. Yeah. We've had a few. We've had a few. There have been a few of those over the years, you know? People yeah. who just can't remember stuff. And especially when it was such an assembly line back then, they don't remember, you know, too many yeah. specific stories. And and if they do, it's like Shelley. He remembers the technical side, you know? He remembers the board and the listening to this or that. He doesn't remember, like... The convert, if he even had like a, an actual conversation with John Lennon about Imagine, he's focused on his job, which is more the technical uh -huh. side. So it's different. But anyway, I'm glad we got his story out there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to for him to be able to go go to John Lennon and change some of that stuff around, it's amazing. It is. It is. He's a legend. Um, okay, and by the way, he's been doing, I think, a, some like Ask Me Anything type stuff on Facebook. So if you want to know more about Shelley, um, I never heard from him again. He, um, I never, you know, I told him when it came out, and uh, I don't know how like you know much he emails and stuff like that. But I noticed for a little while on Facebook he was doing some kind of Ask Me Anything type sessions on there. So if you want to get on there, maybe he's still doing them. I'm not sure. Now after that came the Rupert Hine tribute with Duncan Sheik, which uh, we were very, very lucky to have Duncan come back and talk to us about that. I wasn't sure what we were going to do. I want, I knew that we needed to pay tribute to Rupert because, I mean, he's he's one of our best guests ever, don't you think? Like oh, yeah. top five, top ten? I think so, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, to get Duncan to come back on and to do that was excellent. I thought he really brought a great perspective to it and very humble in a very humble way. Yeah, the thing, one of the things that really meant a lot to me that Duncan said was at the very end, and you kept it in, I'm glad you did, because it was technically after we were done with the interview, he said something to the effect of, you know, I wasn't, I haven't been able to pay my tributes to pay tribute to Rupert before now. And so coming on your show, this is my way of you know, being able to honor him. And I thought it means the world to me that we gave Duncan Sheik an outlet for his tribute. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a that's huge. Well, first of all, Rupert meant a lot to us. And I think I told the story at the end of the Chris Hughes episode, but I'll tell it again here real quick. So Chris Hughes and I do this interview. We do it in two parts. Second part was early on a Friday morning after we were done I didn't have to go to work that day. Thankfully, the work gave us the day off. 
And so I, uh, I went back to bed and, um, I woke up a couple hours later and my phone had all these messages from all, so many of you, Michael Backford, all these people are like, John, did you hear that Rupert Hine died? Or I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, John, but Rupert Hine died. And he died in that, or the news came out that he died while I was taking a nap. So I ping Chris after I hear this and just say, Chris, thank you so much. It meant a lot to me that you came on our show. Unfortunately, I don't know if you knew, but um, Rupert Hine died. And he said, yeah, I know. After you and I hung up, I had to, I went over to his house to be with his widow, Faye. And I, I just thought, what a pro, you know, that Chris Hughes would talk to me when in the back of his mind, he knows that his friend just died. And as soon as he's done talking to me, he's going to go console his widow. That, what a pro. I'm so grateful. And then to have Duncan come back on like that immediately, I just pinged him on Twitter or messaged him like, hey, would you be willing to come back and do a tribute to Rupert? And he said, absolutely. And it, we're just, we're so lucky to have these kinds of connections. And uh, anyway, I'm glad yeah. we did. Because I, I remember when we were discussing about who we should look for to 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 get for that one. And I suggested the Andy Del, Del Castillo. Yeah, I um, he would have been our other choice, but he's another one who I haven't stayed in touch with. I haven't heard from him since we first had him on. And he's <laughs> tough to find. He is very tough to find. And in fact, when I found him the first time, it was on LinkedIn. It wasn't even on like a website or uh, Facebook or social media at all. It was on LinkedIn. He was on there. Um, and you had to be like a premium LinkedIn uh you had to have a premium license in order to even message him on there or connect with him. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my job, the company I worked for provided all of us with premium licenses on LinkedIn. So I was able to message him on there because I had access to that kind of a license and he came on and we talked, but then I, I didn't work. I don't work for that company anymore. And so I didn't have a premium license. I couldn't even message him back if I wanted to. So I didn't know how I was going to get back in touch with him because I haven't talked to him since. So I'm really glad that Duncan came through. I would love to have Andy back on. I want to deep dive that eight seconds album. But anyway, we're really glad. We're really lucky that Duncan came through like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Now the next one is Steve Postel, a bonus episode. So this one was a little tricky. I contacted Danny Korchmar, Cooch, years ago on Facebook. And I said, will you come on our podcast? And he said, yes. But then I never heard from him. This happens all the time, if you can't tell. So I'm messaging him and he's cooch. I don't want to bug him on Facebook, but I'm like, hey, would you be willing to, how about now? I, I try once a month and maybe once a quarter, then once every six months, then once a year, whatever it is. Hey, would you come back? And I think one other time he said yes. And then, or maybe he said, I'm busy, but you know, contact me next month. Never heard from him again. So I'd been trying to get him on the show all that time. Well, then I see that all the immediate family guys go on Pods and Sods with Eric Miller. And I'm like, how did you do that? I've been trying to get Cooch forever. And he gave me the immediate family uh, publicist contact, Lisa Roy, who's great, by the way. And um, she's like, yes, let's set it up, all five of them. Now, nothing against Steve Postel. The other four guys... Russ, Lee, Cooch, and Wadi all have these long careers on countless 
rock and roll albums that we all know and love. Steve's career was very different. His was happening in New York. And so he was not, he doesn't have this resume of being on a bunch of different albums. His stuff is all like Broadway or, you know, he's playing the band at like in the band at like an award show or a lot of jingle work. All of that stuff is great, but I don't have as much to talk with Steve about, you know, because there's less stuff on his resume to touch on. So I'm thinking, well, how do I do this? Because I, I really want to showcase all five guys, but I won't have very much to talk with Steve about, unfortunately, but I want to have him on. So thankfully we get the idea like, well, let's, if their new single comes out on Friday, Cruel Twist, we'll kick it off. We'll put Steve's bonus episode on Friday, make that kind of, because again, going back to what I say, I always like the Tuesday ones to be definitive and interesting. Not that Steve's not interesting, but they really go deep on stuff. Let's make Steve the kind of the Trojan horse. We'll put him out as the bonus kind of promo thing to promote the new, the new uh, single and to sort of introduce that we're going to talk to all five of them. And so we're going to put out one episode a month with each guy until we go through the rest of the four. That was kind of the thinking with Steve Postel. And he ended up being a really nice guy. And it was a perfect thing. It comes out on Friday, the same day as Cruel Twist. That next Tuesday, we have Danny Korchmar on, Cooch. And Danny and I have this long, in-depth conversation about his whole career. So it kind of worked out perfectly. That's why... That's how. That's what I felt like needed to be the right thing with Steve. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, he was great, though. I mean, some of those jingles that he talked about, and you think, you did that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually find the jingle stuff really fascinating. Have you noticed how many people we've had over the years that do jingle work? Well, it's, it's steady work for them. It's good. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It was great. Anyway, that's. I didn't. I wasn't sure if Steve's episode made sense for a full-fledged Tuesday episode, but it worked nicely for a bonus on Friday. And then Cooch was great. He, uh, if you didn't notice, his personality, he's a, I don't know, he's a, he would be an interesting guy to hang out with. He doesn't strike me as like the warmest guy in the world, but he's kind of funny and he's kind of a tough guy. And um, so having him come on and you could tell over the course of the conversation that he was getting more and more warmed up. You know, he starts out a little bristly, a little prickly. By the end, he's loosened right up. And he's telling all these stories about Hanson that were hilarious. And yeah. uh, and what was the other one that he was talking about near the end that was where he was just telling it like it is? That was a great, great conversation. <laughs> that was so funny. And then him... Him saying all the rock guitars, you know, basically following Eddie Van Halen. Like, oh, well, I don't know that I agree with that because I'll go with Brian May that didn't. Well, that's true, but Brian came before Eddie. That's I do, true. <laughs> yeah, I do think I can see kind of what he means. I think a lot of those, we'll call them '80s hair metal guys. A lot of the '80s yeah. rock bands, the Bon Jovi's and the White Snakes and all those guys, Motley Crue's. Those guys, I do think, were pretty heavily influenced by what Eddie Van Halen was doing and trying to kind of do their own spin on it. You know what I mean? I can yeah. kind of see what he means. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if Eddie hadn't come along, those bands probably... 
I mean, like if you take Nikki Six from Motley Crue, he was a big glam guy. He probably got more out of Brian May than Eddie Van Halen. Of course, he plays the bass. But as far as like what bands are influencing that, I mean, you think about it, that's the, the makeup, you know, the poisons and the Motley Crue. They're taking kind of the brash uh, theatricality of a band like Queen, mixing it with the musicality of a band like Van Halen. That's what was making that 80s hair metal. So that's yep. those are the pieces of it, you know? So anyway, yeah, I loved... Uh, I loved Danny Korchmar's interview so much. That was a dream one for me. And we have uh, Wadi Wachtel is going to be in July. And then either Lee or Russ will be in August. And then either Lee or Russ will be in September. And we'll cover all four of them. Um, okay, let's see. After Danny came Alan Shacklock's Ro- Roger Daltrey deep dive. of um, Or Under the Raging Moon, I should say. You love Shacklock. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love Shacklock, too. You love him a lot. Tell us why you love Shacklock. Well, just, you know, from his last time around, all the stories about working with Meatloaf were just, oh, that, this guy's amazing. It's Brian Adams' story as well. Oh. That was just superb. Yeah. Like, the Alan Shacklock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alan. Uh, Alan's a real raconteur. He's one of those guys where he just—you just have to put bumpers on the conversation because he will just go. You ask one question, and and Alan takes over. I get it. I know what you need. I'm gone, and he uh, goes for the next hour and a half or whatever. I was trying to kind of. Uh, try and contain him a little bit so that we went track by track because if it were up to him he would have started with the Under the Raging Moon song (laughs) and and who knows what so I'm trying to kind of keep him in line but he's the best I mean he just tells these stories so freely and effortlessly and I heard from a lot of people who were really glad to hear that one who hadn't heard or thought about the Daltrey album in a while so anyway that's a great album and a great conversation we're again another one so lucky to have Alan excellent and I think you said I'd ask you how he thought about thought about it, and I know he liked our last one, our original one with us. And you, you said he really liked this one, and he was going to share it with the with the college that he He does some classes. Oh in. yes, that's right. Yeah, he uh, he texted me. I texted him afterwards and was like, you know, are you are you good with this? And he said that was brilliant. And so, and these are, you know. These are testaments to you, Yan. I mean, you make all this. I do what I do, but you make it sound good. These people are happy with the final results because of your production um, technique. So it's. Uh, I'm glad we get to do what we do, and I'm glad we're so good at what we do. I think I've explained it before. I have like a set thing I try to do. What is it? Tell us. So, if, you know, when I, you know, when I'm queuing up some music, I've got. You know, if if I can sustain ten seconds between where the the start of the music comes in to to where the voice comes in, if it's a you know if it's not an instrumental, then I'm always doing a ten second uh, bring up and I'll stage it so that it, it sits for a couple of seconds at one level and a couple of seconds at another level, and then slide it up so that it just never it never comes immediately in loud. I love that. Yeah. I love it. I um, I've noticed 
Well, your your cues have always been great, but um, I've noticed lately the there's been a big well when I say lately probably the last year or more there's been a big improvement I think on your part of of this this very thing when the songs are kind of fading in and fading back out and the the sections of the songs that you choose to play and why and how long you let those cues go for I've noticed a that because it you it's so easy and uh, and time saving to just sort of make this a plug and play you know just like oh you, that's where you want the song to play i'm going to play a minute of it right here we're going to shut it off and then we're going to you know but you've put a lot of thought and care into what you're playing and when and what section of the song and where it fades in and out that was something Aaron Syrett was always good at at the beginning so it's you're you've done so well at this i really love it well i think i, I mean it's I think it's important to get the right spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're nailing it. Um, okay, only a couple left. Susie Quattro. Susie's a legend. And uh, I had I had wanted to, I had thought about having her on for a while. She. This will come up a lot. There are people out there, there's artists out there where I feel, I don't, I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm the right guy to tell their story because I feel like you have to really know your stuff you have to really know the story if you're going to uh, have them on the show otherwise if you come off like a poser their fans can smell it on you and that's uh -huh. what so that's what Susie always felt like to me and because I know the hits but I you know she was always so much bigger in Europe and in the UK than here and I don't want to I didn't want to talk to her just about happy days she's probably heard that a million times I didn't even really bring it up I wanted to go deep on her music, and so I thought, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm afraid that if I have her on, people are going to smell like I'm an American poser, and I don't want that smell. But when um, I got an email from a publicist saying, you know, would you be interested in having Susie on? I was like, yes, absolutely. Now's the time. I got to own this. I got to do it. You know. Now, I only got 35, 40 minutes out of her. And it was one of those situations where she was doing a lot of interviews that day, and I was just one of them. I remember when we had Harry Wayne Casey from Casey the Sunshine Band on. Similar thing. John Oates too. I mean, this happens a lot. Mike Reno. This happens with a lot of people. But some of them, sometimes those guests are really good at making you feel like they are wholly focused on you. And sometimes the guest, uh, you, it's you know, unfortunately, you come away realizing that you're just one on an assembly line of interviews they're doing. And there was a little bit of that with Susie, but she's a pro. She's done a million of these. All right, let's get in and get out. What do you need? Business for her, you know. So I wasn't able to have the kind of long, deeper, emotional conversation with her that I would have liked. But uh, that documentary is fantastic. Again, it's called Susie Q. It just came out. And thankfully, I had seen that a couple of times leading up to the conversation, because then I had some really in-depth personal stuff to dwell on. She's a legend. You know, she knows it. She knows her place in rock history. She thinks she deserves more, and she does. And I'm glad that I got to talk to her for even just a few minutes, and we got to share a portion of her story on our show. Yeah. And when we say she deserves more, that woman should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No kidding. No kidding. I, I don't understand what they're doing. I mean, 
there aren't enough how 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 do I want to say this? There aren't enough women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And their contributions matter. And it's more of a sausage fest. And if you're going to if it's hard for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to find qualified women to put in there like Pat Benatar or in this case Susie Quattro, if you can't if you're struggling to find women to put in the Rock Hall, at least take the ones that are at the cream of the crop, the top section of who's not already in there, like Pat and Susie, that those are no brainers. I mean, I can understand if you're like, I don't know whether to put, you know, I don't know, Jody Watley in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I understand that. But Susie Quattro and Pat Benatar, of course, they belong in there. You know, well, Susie's a pioneer. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. What? I don't know of another, I was, like I said in there, I can't think of, now, yes, people like Grace Slick and Janis Joplin came out before Susie did, but they didn't play instruments and um, they weren't, they were lead singers, but they, I don't know that they were called to do quite as much heavy lifting as Susie was. Maybe, maybe I'm saying this wrong, but anyway, I can't think of who would have come before Susie. She was the, First, she was the pioneer. So anyway, it's like get it right, Rock Hall. It's not that hard, you know. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's get let's get her and in excess in there at the same time. Oh gosh, in excess deserve it too. So true. Um, that one drives me nuts. Now, you growing up in the UK, you maybe you were, you saw Susie on TV a lot growing up, or what? Oh yeah, yeah. Any of our UK listeners that are around my age maybe remember on swap on a tv show called swap shop oh really yeah <laughs> that's great okay yeah other than ha- happy days she didn't make much of a of an impact in the states and it's so weird i don't know why that is but anyway glad she's on um okay honeymoon sweet deep dive uh with Derry gray and i I, I really strongly feel like Honeymoon Suite and especially that album in particular are so underrated. They, it deserves to be heard. And so I really just wanted to do my part to make sure Honeymoon Suite and Derry felt loved, you know? And um, like I said, I know a lot of these guys do a lot of interviews and I don't think they emotionally connect with the people who are doing the interviews but I want them to know I'm emotionally connecting with them and that it, I'm not just, that's why I work so hard and do so much research for every one of these interviews because I don't want anyone to feel like they're just, I'm just churning some content out, you know? The interview with me is just the same as any promotional morning radio interview you would do with anyone else. I never want them to feel that. I want them to feel like I took some time to really think about them specifically and, um, I love Honeymoon Suite, and I love that album, and I wanted him to know that. And so I, I said, let's do it again. Let's deep dive it, share it with people so that he feels loved. That was important to me, you know? I, I agree, and that, that album is great. And he's another one. I thought he was just as good this time around on the deep dive as he was on, the, on his original episode. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad we. Uh, I, I'm glad we shared some love, and I hope anyone out there with an ear for '80s AOR rock will pick up the big prize because it's fantastic. Okay. Lastly, Chris Hughes. 
This was huge. I had been trying to get Chris for years. He and I are Facebook friends. He's never active on there though. I've sent him, I don't know how many messages over the years. Um, you know, he's one of these people like many who accept my friend request, but then don't look at his messages or I don't know what. And um, I tried to get him on when we had Marco Peroni on last year a couple of times. And Marco said, I don't know if you're going to be able to get Chris. He's really kind of wishy-washy and a <laughs> super nice guy, but, you know, does non-committal. And, oh, man, if Marco can't get me Chris, I don't know how this is ever going to happen, you know? And then Chris has been doing, I've seen, maybe you have too, I think they did a classic albums episode of Tears for Fear songs with the Big Chair. I feel like that album's been getting a lot of attention this year. And he's probably sick to death of talking about it, but he and Dave Bascom worked closely on that album. And so, and we had had Dave on. And so I said, Dave, do you think you would, and Dave liked us, thankfully. And um, I said, do you, do you think Chris would talk to me? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll ask. And like the next day, Chris said, hey, John, do you want to, I heard you want to talk to me. Oh my gosh, Chris, I've been trying for years, you know? Yes. <laughs> and uh, what's really, What's so gratifying about that is that when we, when I first contacted him, he said, you know, I only have about 45 minutes and that's probably true. And that's also something people say, I think when they're unsure whether they want to talk to me or not, like they put a hard stop at the end uh -huh. in case it's starting to go sideways. And I understand that's fine. I would do that too. Thankfully, he and I had really great chemistry. And it's funny, I think about other people, I, some people make fun of me, like I flirt with our female guests, which I don't think I ever do, but like Dolette and I had really great chemistry. Fiona and I had really great chemistry. Maybe it's more, seems more obvious when it's a male-female combination, but I feel like Chris and I had really great chemistry. And here, and so he gave me like an hour and 15 minutes and said, well, let's just do this again. He, he had to go and we hadn't gotten everything. And he said, well, let's just do it again next week. And I'm thinking, well, that's great, Chris, but it took me four years to get you to come on the first time. If you say, let's do this next week, and then I don't hear from you for another four months or four years, that's going to break my heart. And he was, no, let's do it next week. It's no big deal. And sure enough, he did. And that was the day Rupert died. And it's funny because I told him, you know, we all, I only need like 20 more minutes. Let's just talk about Paul McCartney and Robert Plant, and we'll get out of there. And he went for like another 40 minutes. In fact, I, I worried that the second half was losing some momentum of the first half because the first half was happening so quick and and he was just hitting every beat. And the second half kind of spent more time talking about Paul and more time talking about Robert. And I worried that the, the uh, momentum was getting stalled, but I heard nothing but really good things about that one. So that's one of my favorite ones too that we've ever done. Well, I, I tidied him up on the second half quite a bit. So. You did. You did. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, he was one of my dream guests. He's my fourth favorite producer of all time. That out, that uh, episode took off, thankfully. Jack Hughes. So grateful. Again, I've become sort of friends with Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. And I let him know that, that, that we had that conversation. And Jack shared it. And because, what was it? Like Chris's son and Jack's daughter, or vice versa, are about to have a baby. They've probably had a baby. Yeah. By now. <laughs> Is that crazy? Yeah. Like that. Crazy. That was that was wild. 
And I thought what was really interesting was the, you know, when you talk to him about working with Paul McCartney, like, how how do you go into that situation and say, well, no, you need to do this, Paul. You need to do that. You need to do it this way. Yeah. How do you tell Paul McCartney, I need another take. That wasn't good enough. (laughs) Or Robert Plant, you know, Robert, I'm going to need you to go back in there and do that again. We don't have it. How do you tell those guys that, you know? Yeah. But you have to, if that's your job, you know? Anyway, that was, uh, that's one of my favorite ones. And I'm so glad it turned out well. And I'm so glad he and I had nice chemistry. And he said, you know, let's stay in touch anytime. And um, there's a part of me that really wants to pounce on that. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to bother him because in case that's just a nice nicety that he says to everybody. But bottom line is I'm really grateful. I got to have that experience with one of my musical histories or heroes. It was great. Um, now I hadn't planned on talking about NXS cause it's technically the next phase, but I will just because I know that's hot on everyone's mind. So I, um, I'll give you the quick story. Obviously I have been trying to have someone from NXS on the show all along for years. And I don't know, I'm trying to remember if it was Mark Opitz or we had Mark Gable on from choir boys and it was one or the other, maybe you remember Yan that told me that I don't think I'm talking out of turn. I think this is factual. Mark, uh, Michael Hutchins's state has like all the other NXS guys on like gag orders. They, I think in order to do for any of them to do an interview, they have to have it approved ahead of time from Michael Hutchins state because there can, there's concerns, I guess, about what, you know, gets out there about Michael. So like, for instance, Mark Gable from choir boys is good friends with Kirk Pengilly from NXS. And he put in a good word for me with Kirk and Kirk said, he's going to have to go through the proper channels of contacting like NXS's management. And I did, and they turned me down. And that was, that was early on. That was like four years ago. So my impression all along has been that no one from NXS is going to do any interviews, least of all with me, you know, and uh, because of this, because of these restraints, these legal restraints. So I, I've tried like uh, Gary, Gary beers, the bass player. He has a band right now called Ash and moon. John Ferris has his website. I've tried John Ferris. Um, I've tried Andrew. When I saw that Andrew was working on this country album, I sent a message to on Facebook or uh, to his website or something about a year ago. I'm thinking, well, if nothing else, maybe they'll come on and they'll promote their thing and I can get like three or four NXS questions in there. You know, I don't know. That has to be approved, hopefully. So I, I've never gotten anywhere with any of them. And then finally, back in February or March, uh, Andrew's people wrote me back. And it had been so long where I had even forgotten that I had contacted him at one point. And they came back and said, yeah, do you want to interview Andrew? And you're like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm thinking, you know, at this point, I'm resigned myself. If all I get to talk about is country music with Andrew, fine, whatever. I just want to have an, a member of NXS represented on our show somewhere. So me and his publicist, this lady, uh, go back and forth for months. And like I said earlier, it was meant to have finally taken place in the middle of April. I said, great, he's going to be our fifth birthday 
um, guest on at the beginning of May. Perfect. And I'm feeling a little nervous because they first contacted me in like February. And of course, I want to get it done right then and there. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And uh, it keeps getting pushed and pushed. And then COVID hits and it doesn't happen at all. So I'm contacting her like, hey, you know, just is this ever going to happen? And she says, you know, probably not for a while. I'll let you know when it does. So I kind of give up hope. Cut to a month or two later, Steve Cooper, who I mentioned, contacts me. And he says, would you be interested in talking with Andrew Ferris? Or he said, or maybe he said, I just got done talking with Andrew Ferris. Now, I love Steve and I'm grateful for him, but I am burning with raging jealousy at this moment because <laughs> that was supposed to be us, you know? And I'm like, how did you get, how did you scoop me? I had it all worked out. I was supposed to talk to Andrew months ago. How did you, I thought it was on lockdown. I thought it wasn't happening. How did this happen? Well, sure enough, he got to talk to Andrew. And um, I was so, I mean, I'm, I love Steve. I'm grateful for Steve, but I'm happy for him. But I was so pissed because this was supposed to be our win, you know? So thankfully, Steve gives me Andrew's, a different person in Andrew's camp, different publicist, a manager, I think, and says, go through them. And I do, and that guy's name is Steve, too. And it happens. So, of course, I'm super grateful, but I'm so annoyed that we didn't have this story first. Anyway, I didn't even bother listening to Steve Cooper's interview with Andrew because I didn't want it to influence what the interview I wanted to have with Andrew. So, eventually, it happens. So, there is another interview out there with Steve Cooper, if you want to go find it. And, um, But I... Um, was hoping that he, that Andrew and I would have more of the kind of interview that I wanted to have. Now, I know that there were, I, he is one of those people where I could have gone song by song, let alone album by album. But um, it, it, I gave, you know, I asked the one question out of the gate, why did you go country? And like the next half hour is him talking nonstop about what inspired him to go country. That was great. It was. I was nervous while the minutes are ticking by. Like, I hope I still get to talk about in excess in here, you know, because what if like I'm, I've got all this in my head. They never do interviews. The Hutchins estate, all this stuff is like, well, if let's say Andrew will only give me 45 minutes and the first half hour is him talking about country. That's fine. But what how how am I going to condense 35 years of in excess love into like 15 minutes of questions, you know, thankfully I think having that first half hour about country earned the right to have a longer conversation about in excess, you know? Yeah. Cause you warmed, you warmed him up on his, on his new stuff. That is his most important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, just like you before. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you be. Yes, the deep dive. Yeah. yeah. So we'll cover that next time, right? We'll cover that one next time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yes. So I, um, I mean, believe me, I would have loved to have found out more about the reality show they did. And I got a little nervous because I think at the at the near the end, he, I kept checking in with him. Are you good on time? Are you good with this? He said, Yeah, I'm good. I mean, my wife might need me to do something here in a minute. So, but I got a few more minutes, and. Um, 
I was going album by album, and I think when he picked up on it, he sort of rushed through the last two albums, uh, probably just to like you know end it, which uh-huh. made me a little self conscious. But at least we got there, you know. So I, it wasn't exactly the kind of in excess interview that I dream of having, but it was way better than I thought I would ever get. And um, it seems to be resonating with all of you. I've heard from so many people who, first of all, are listening to a ton of NXS right now and who <laughs> I got really emotional in this interview, not emotional from a crying perspective, but just really worked up all these strong opinions and feelings about NXS couldn't hold them in any longer. And I just, they exploded. And I heard from so many of you who are like, I get it. I feel that way too. Your emotions were justified. So thank you everyone for saying that. I, I just, I'm so, I can't believe we got to represent in excess on our show. That's a, it's a miracle. After everything I just said, I hope you guys all see it's a miracle. This happened. Are you an in excess fan? Oh, I love, love their stuff. Yeah. 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 Love they're huge. Their stuff. Yeah. They're important. Well, that's pretty much everything. I, um, I think we covered it all. Yeah. I, this felt like, um, well, there's just a lot of content. I hope everyone's doing okay. I, um, I'm so behind on so many podcasts right now because, first, I, first of all, I, I commute now to the basement of my house to get to work. There's not the hour on the bus that there used to be when I would catch up on everyone's podcasts. And being out of work for so long and everything, I've just got tons of them piled up. So I worry that we are that podcast for other people, you know? That they're too big. It's like, I can't, I don't have time for two of your episodes every week, but that's just where we are, folks. We've got access to so many people, great people. Now we can eat, we got to capitalize on it, you know? And I still have, I think I counted yesterday, I think I have 14 interviews in the can as of right now. And so, and some of those were done back in like February and March. And they're probably not going to come out until October. Like I could take the next two months off and still have plenty in the can. But now is the time to pounce, you know? Yeah. Now is when people are ready to talk. It just might be six months before their episode comes out. And if if they fit as a bonus, we'll work them in. Yeah. Yeah. There is one in particular, I don't want to say who it is. You know who it is that will probably end up being a bonus that I wish would be a Tuesday episode, but um, I just want it to come out and I don't know where else to fit it. And it's different than our normal Tuesday definitive episodes. And so I'll probably slot it in as a bonus, but anyway, it's, um, it's an embarrassment of riches right now. We've got a lot of stuff. People are willing to talk. And I think everybody that we've had on this year has just been amazing. I do too. You know, I was thinking about this, Yen. You know how normally I come in here and I'm a kind of an Eeyore and um, I'm always thinking about quitting and like, you know, I'll be good for a couple of months and then I kind of get depressed about it all for a while. I haven't had those thoughts once this entire calendar year, even in spite of how rough the world is. I stand by every episode we've put out this year, bonus or otherwise, you know? Yep. I think they all have value. A couple of them are, you know, maybe geared toward diehard fans more than everybody. But 
I think every single person we've had on this year has had a valuable story to tell. I'm going to have a, I was thinking the other day, it's going to be impossible to count down my top 10 favorite episodes of this year. Cause there's already at least 15 or 20 in the running, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just been an amazing year so far. It has. And like I said, I still have like 14 in the can that I feel really good about. There might be one or two kind of specific ones in there, but most of them I'm so excited. So anyway, and they're with big names, they're with bands you know, and they're so it's uh it's wild. There's a lot going on. So anyway, well, it's been a good year so far. I mean, from a podcasting perspective, this year has been great. I um I wish that the world itself was in better shape, but um at least and, our podcast is chugging along. Yeah, and we're closing in on half a million downloads. Half a million. I know. I know. That's a that's a big number. I think we're gonna we're gonna hit it soon. We're really close. In fact, by the time this comes out, we might even have hit it. So, anyway, thanks to everybody who supports us and loves us and gets what we're doing here, especially now, especially when people like. Rupert Hine and Brian Howe pass away or people like Andrew Ferris who don't do a lot of interviews or Chris Hughes, these people, the Julian Mendelssohn's, the Holly Knights, the Charlie Midnight's, these people whose stories are so provocative, but don't, they aren't out there all over the place. You guys who listen to us get that we think these conversations are valuable. And if you love music, all kinds of music, stories about the making of music, then hopefully you like these, I think then you like these conversations that we're having and these podcasts we're putting out there and they sound great. So anyway, thanks to everybody who supports us. Echo, echo that. Totally. It's great that we have so many people that listen to what we're putting out. I know. I know. We're really lucky. Um, okay. So, uh, anything else you want to say, Jan? No, I think that's it for me. That's it for but me, too. I'm looking forward to the next half million downloads. Get us to the million. <laughs> too. Me, too. Hopefully Let's it happens. Go for it. Let's go for it, folks. Get it, get it there quick. I know. And like I've said, I, you know, I've said this before, but it's been a while. Just to reiterate, if you heard somebody on here that you like, please let them know. Send them a message. Send them a... I saw a tweet. Um, thanks again to Brian and Sarah from Permanent Record. I saw a tweet. I wasn't even tagged on this. I just saw it somehow, randomly. Uh, Brian Lennon bought Holly Knight's Device album after hearing her on on here, on the, on the Hustle. And he tweeted to her, or to Holly, I should say, posted a picture on Twitter of her back when she was in Device. And permanent record, I assume it was Brian, tweeted, replied to that saying, I bought this device album when I heard you on the hustle because I liked it so much. And she wrote back like, that is so cool. Thanks for doing that. That meant the world to me. So if you guys ever hear episodes on here with people that you like and that you feel connected to, please let them know that what, because the time that they take to give us some valuable content really matters. Let them know that uh, it was worth it for them to do that. Now, speaking of which, we're going to close it out. 
normally we open and close these recaps in two ways. One, Yan always picks the intro, someone probably relating back to somebody that was in that quarter and a song that he really liked. This time we kind of save that spot for Matthew and Kevin. The closeout song is something else that I wanted to kind of help promote. So we've had Robert LaRoche from The Size on here a couple of times. His EP from last year, A Thousand Shades, was my favorite album of last year. It was an EP. And he came on and did a promo mode about it. Well, The Size, his original band, from power pop band from the 90s, have gotten back together and they have put out an EP too. It's called Tearing My Heart Again. And there's a song, he was kind enough to send me a copy. It's great. It's a great mixture of the 90s power pop that they did with the sort of uh, alt-country sound of his EP from last year. And there's a song on it that I want to play for you guys to close out. It's called Redemption. And uh, I really like this tune. And so, again, pay attention, please, to our guests. See, the, Watch their documentaries. Buy their albums. Let them know that you like what you hear, whatever it is. Validate their artistic impulses because they deserve it. So we want to close it out with a song from The Size. This is Redemption. Reason bends hard.